Hello, and welcome to You Uplifted, the place where open hearts and open minds can come together to talk about and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their own power and potential. My name is Safa and I am your host. I am an intuitive healer as well as a women's health and wellness life coach. And I want to give a very warm welcome to all of our new and old listeners in case this is your first time coming across this show. The purpose and intention behind these episodes is for us to explore different modalities of healing, to talk about everything from how to use crystals to rebalance our chakras to what it is to be an HSP or how we can set boundaries for ourselves and even how we can create safe space for ourselves and the people around us to so much more. Every week I bring you a new topic and sometimes we have solo episodes like today and some other times we've got wonderful, wonderful guests joining me to share so many beautiful techniques and tools and practices that we can all use to truly step into and embody our full powers and become uplifted so that we can live thriving, beautiful lives. Today's episode is probably one of the subjects that I'm most passionate about, and it is one of the tools that I use very, very heavily whenever working with clients one-on-one or even in my yoga teachings and meditation sometimes. And it is the realization that our stories really, truly matter, and they've got very deeply seated ways of affecting the way in which we assign matter to the world around us and relate to the world around and within us. Now, I'm not talking about stories like the ones that we find when we go to the movies or when we read books, though those are truly amazing stories from which we can definitely learn a whole lot. I'm more specifically talking about the stories that our ego creates in order to protect us and that ultimately shape as I said, the way in which we relate to the world around us and within us. So allow me to explain that a little bit further. To do that, I am going to bring out a definition for story that I found in the dictionary that I think you are just going to love. And again, if it's your first time listening to the, sh- to the show, this is something that I do constantly because I fully believe that words have power and the more we know what it is that we are saying, the better for us. So this defines story as an account of past events in someone's life or in the evolution of something. And that's actually very closely knitted to what a story is in terms of what our ego does. Now, I know that our egos get a bad rap because the word itself gets used to call people egotistical or say, oh, they're too much into their ego, they don't know how to be humble, things along those lines. And I understand where that comes from. But what's really interesting is that the ego is there to protect us. It isn't something within us that is meant to be harmful or narcissistic and conceited or that is going to be leading us astray all the time, preventing us from being humble or seeing things as they truly are. It is meant to really and truly allow us to feel safe. And one of the ways in which the ego does this is by telling stories. And that's kind of the crux of the thing, right? Because the ego is such a good storyteller and it likes to have things just so. The ego likes straight lines and it likes boxes and it likes very rigid white and black concepts. And it very rarely expands or shifts and it tends to be very rigid. So already we know something very important about the ego, even in its function of protecting us and serving us, that is going to give us a clue as to why these stories are so important to know and to work with, and that is the immovable nature of the ego's sense of preservation, so to speak. In other words, the ego tends to be very rigid and unmoving, and all of the universe, all of life is fluctuating all of the time and changing all of the time. So the ego has a really hard time with that. I believe it is one of the reasons why we have such a hard time with change. 
And so again, I go back to saying the ego is a phenomenal storyteller. It likes to tell stories that it can then use to create more boxes, more lines, more divisions, not divisions in a negative way, but more subdivisions of those boxes, right? And use those to keep us safe. So say, for example, you were growing up and one day when you were, I don't know, about two or three, you stumbled across this teddy bear on the road and maybe it had fallen out of a car or something and it got run over and it looked all beat up and that teddy bear made an impression on your psyche and the ego took that impression and created a story around it. For example, it might have created a story of fear or caution around cars and streets, right? Because if you're little and you're seeing this image and it impacts you, then the ego goes, oh gosh, streets are dangerous, cars are dangerous, this happened to the teddy bear, this could happen to me, and so therefore, this is the story I'm going to tell myself now, and it is that streets are dangerous, and cars are dangerous, and I have to be extra careful. So, <laughs> I mean, that sounds probably like a very ridiculous example, but that is essentially how the ego tells stories to ourselves, and then we choose to assign very heavy meaning to those stories. And then through that designation of matter and meaning, that is how we color or how we see not just ourselves, but the world around us. But allow me to be very vulnerable with you and share my own stories so that it doesn't stay in teddy bear land and we can go further into exploration with this as to how it relates to our core wounds and how we embody ourselves in the world around us and how we see the world around us. <laughs> so, for example, if you've heard any of the previous episodes, you know that one of my biggest and most prevalent stories was that I wasn't good enough. That story came from a place in my life where I felt very unsteady, where I felt like if I wasn't good enough or if I didn't fulfill certain qualities, then I didn't really have any worth. And it created very deeply seated core wounds in me, which eventually led me to developing an eating disorder and making questionable decisions in my own life and just in the way that I approached the whole world around me, becoming very subservient, maybe that's not the right word, but very meek in a lot of ways and allowing my power to be taken away from me because I continued to believe that I had no internal worth and that all of the external things around me were the ones that carried that worth and I had to please them or better suit them or better fit into them, if that makes any sense. So that is one example of what a story will do and how it colors the way in which we relate to ourselves and the world around us. Now, each person has unique stories individual to each person. And you don't even have to have one story alone. You could have several different stories. But what I find is true is that for the majority of us, we have several different stories that all can be traced even further back in their origin, so to speak, to one key thread, one main story that came along into our lives and to which we assigned incredibly heavy, heavy matter to and that more or less has shaped the way in which we relate to everything around us. And it's not an easy task to figure out what that story is. It takes a lot of self-awareness. It takes a lot of dedication. It becomes a practice. And arriving to a place in our lives where we can be present with that work or with that inner awareness and that inner practice, that dedication, that sacred devotion to self, it's going to demand a heightened level of vulnerability, presence, love, compassion, grace, gratitude, and courage. Very, very deeply seated courage because truly sitting down and getting to know ourselves at such a deep level that we can see our shadows and embrace them and really truly love ourselves in that space and know through those spaces that the wounds that we carry 
come from stories that we have told ourselves because XYZ can be very daunting. It almost reminds me, whenever you do this type of very deep introspective work, it reminds me so much of that one chapter in The NeverEnding Story, and if you never read the book, then in the movie, where Atreyu comes face to face with the mirror of Erised, and essentially what it does is it shows him exactly who he is at his very core. And the interesting thing there is there's this quote, and now I'm confusing myself as to whether the quote itself is from the book or the movie, but there's this quote in there about how that particular challenge in this quest that Atreyu is on is the part that has driven the most amount of people crazy and that drives them out of their screaming because it is so challenging so daunting and so incredibly life-transforming to really know who you truly are at your very core. And if you aren't fully ready for it, or if you're resistant, or if you are pretending, or if you are trying to force it, then it isn't going to happen. It's just going to keep giving you more misdirection. If you really are going to truly know who you are, then seeing every single part of you, that's the task. And for Atreyu, what's interesting is he looks and he discovers that he is Sebastian. So it's this interesting juxtaposition of the warrior, the mighty warrior who at a very early age has already gone out and hunted buffalo and he's on this life-threatening quest and who is ultimately, as far as he knows, the savior of his whole world. And he looks in the mirror and he sees this little, meek, very shy little kid. And at the same time, Sebastian looks up and sees as his own reflection, the reflection of this warrior child in front of him, and both have very unique reactions. Sebastian freaks out and essentially throws the book because he can't handle the fact that internally he is that mighty and that wonderful and that powerful and awe-inspiring. And Atreyu, on the other hand, embraces this. He walks on through because he knows himself to be beautiful and tender and kind-hearted and intelligent and brave. So it's just so funny because it, it seems or it would seem on the surface as if these two are completely polar opposites, but they're not. They are, in fact, two sides of the same coin, slightly different, but the same at their core. And it's so wondrous to me because we can always, at any given point in time, choose to see and embody ourselves however we choose. We can look at the self and become very, very deeply, intimately connected with self and oh, be amazed. Or we can allow the spaces of shade that maybe make us a little bit uncomfortable to scare us out of that moment of presence and push us further into disconnect or further into running away from or further into trying to force ourselves into being something that we clearly are not. So there's so many different ways in which this can go. And the practice starts with getting to discover the self loving and embracing the self unconditionally, completely and exactly as we are in each moment as we are in those moments without needing to change or force or run away from anything. And then in that space, observation. Whenever we're practicing, I always tell my students or even when we're doing meditations or when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with my clients, I always say, really think of yourself as the gentle observer. In other words, don't just sit there and judge your life and yourself negatively and put yourself down and berate yourself and try to break yourself down for things. Or 
lie to yourself about what it is that you are seeing and experiencing and try to force or run away from anything. Just be with what is in that moment, observe and see what comes up. And what's interesting about stories is that we have the stories that we told ourselves at a very early age to which we assigned very heavy meaning to. Like I said, I'll use myself as an example. Me, for example, thinking that I wasn't worthy or not good enough. And then we have the stories that other people seemingly tell us about ourselves. Those are a little bit harder to find, but I'll give you another example. So growing up, I heard many different things around and about me. One of those things was that I needed to lose weight. And I heard that constantly and I got bullied for it. And that played along to my own story that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't worthy. And I took that on and eventually that festered because I kind of stuffed it down inside me, festered into an eating disorder. One of the other stories that I heard around me a lot and that I chose to assign very heavy meaning to and that I carried with me in an uncomfortable way within my soul, body, and mind was the story that I was fragile because, yeah, I was kind of a sickly kid. (laughs) So not to give everybody too much detail here, but I wasn't the healthiest of kids. I had issues from the moment I was born to now you could say because I you know still suffer from migraines and such but I think that the tension that the sickness and dis-ease that had been within me at such an early age had put on the people around me created this narrative that I was fragile and that I shouldn't be pushing myself too far and that I couldn't take things and that Not that people were telling this to my face, understand. Stories don't always work that way. It's not always something very obvious like someone literally calling you a fat ass like they called me when I was younger. It's not always like that. Sometimes it's the subtler energetic pulls and pushes that are around you that you're not really even super cognizant of unless and until you sit down and do the work of paying attention. So so this narrative wasn't being told to me. It's not as if my mom, my dad, or my brother sat me down and said, you can't do this, you're too weak. You know, it wasn't like that. But I did pick up the energetic worry. You know, I could could sense that my mom would worry if I was going somewhere and I was going to be out in the sun too much or if she thought that I was doing too much exercise or if I had come down with yet again another disease and we ran to the hospital and all of these things. And so I picked up on that energy and subconsciously processed it and digested it and created the story about myself that also did have a very deep-seated root in my core story, my core, core, core wound, but that ran along the lines, along, along that line and created something else that said, oh, I'm very fragile. I have to be careful. I shouldn't push myself too much because if I do, who knows what's going to happen. I'm probably going to get sick. Something bad will happen. And then what's funny about stories is they're all, they're self-fulfilling prophecies. They, because we spend so much time in the energetic process of them, they attract more of the like to us. So for example, with this last narrative, I picked up of that energy and kept thinking, oh, I'm fragile. I really shouldn't push. I should take it easy. Be very careful so that I don't get sick. And when I pulled out of that a little bit and decided to challenge myself, suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere, something would happen. Like for example, the first time that I finally decided to try a sport because, okay, I'm the girl, y'all, who didn't do sports. I did rock climbing. I eventually in my life did yoga, but mostly I just read books, watched movies, read some more, (laughs) and that was pretty much it. So I wasn't like a super sportsy, athletic type person, but I loved sports and I loved basketball. I mean, like really, I remember sitting there and watching games and just being 
ah, so excited by everything. So I kind of wanted to give it a try. And so I finally decided to try out for the basketball team and I'm in it and I start training and right as I start doing things and showing up for games, all of a sudden I start fainting and things begin to go from bad to worse and we can't we can't figure out what's wrong with me and my heart feels like it's going to come out of my chest blah blah and to to make a super super lengthy story short it ended up being that I had atrial fib and was going to need surgery at a very early age and so this happens and in my mind subconsciously but I can't see the thought process now after many many years of introspective work and a lot of times sitting in presence with old core wounds of mine that I saw that and went up you see I'm too fragile I can't do this I'm not the person who goes out there and exercises because if I do well my heart fails (laughs) you know and that may seem so (laughs) random or silly or you might even be there and be like well yeah that's proof right there for you but I think the biggest takeaway from me is that it was just a story. I didn't get atrial fib because I started playing basketball. (laughs) You know, I had atrial fib and we didn't catch it until then because by then, not only had my eating disorders gotten so bad that I had chosen to do things that worsened my situation, but also we hadn't really known to look for this thing. It's kind of like a silent killer. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so it wasn't the basketball play that did this. It was just something that was there, but the stories and the energetics around it were, well, yeah, you did this, therefore this is the situation because you, X, Y, Z. And so that is so interesting to me because a lot of the time when I talk about stories, I tend to focus on just our main, main core wounding. The story in our life that has colored a lot of our decisions and that has put us in places where perhaps we may not really wish to be or that when assigning it such heavy meaning keep us from living truly fulfilling and empowered lives. But, and again, just to be completely open and vulnerable with you, I had a moment with the truth of, oh wait, there's more than one story at play at one given point in time. And a lot of times it can even be stories others are putting on us, not on purpose, not maliciously, but energetically on a subconscious level, etc. like we just talked about, because... I've come across that particular narrative a couple of times in my grown life. And yesterday, in fact, in particular, I had a very rude sort of face-to-face with it. That was my mirror of Erisit. I sat or stood directly in front of myself in that moment and had a bit of a freak out. I'm not going to lie. I had gone out for a run. And now remember, up until my grown adult, let's call it life, I had believed not only the story that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't worthy, but also the story that I was fragile and I couldn't or I shouldn't try because I was too meek, too, yeah, whatever you want to assign to it. At the end of the day, again, it does go back to that one very main core wound, but it's a different branch, so to speak. It's like everything comes from the same tree, but it's a different branch. So... I spent a lot of time in that headspace, but when I started my yoga practice, that started changing for me because all of a sudden, there was something here that I could embody fully in presence, with power, with energy, with joy, and I could live it so freely without the fear of being meek, or too little, or, you know, not enough. Again, the stories. And I start that journey, and I spend, I think it was two or three years, fully, fully invested in Ashtanga and all of this, and I'm loving it, and I'm like, oh my god, I knew it, I do have power, and I start healing my relationship with my eating disorder, and all of a sudden I'm stronger, I feel healthier, more vibrant, more alive. 
<laughs> and again, like I said, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Or we think it is. All of a sudden, I uh, start having problems with my knee. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I'm finally finding something that I can relish in and now my knee gives up. And so that starts creating a little bit of resentment within myself, toward myself, which is always something that we need to be observers of because we do create resentments within ourselves as well as we do with other people. And those actually, the ones we create with ourselves, can very often be even more pervasive and more damaging if we don't notice them and we don't start healing them and really doing the presence of loving into those spaces. So I bring that up because this happens and I'm like starting to resent it a little bit. Damn it, you know, I finally got to this place in my life and I'm doing great, I'm enjoying myself and I'm getting healthy and, and I'm developing strength and I'm turning into a pretzel and now my knee is all whacked on me and now I can't practice for a little while and, nah, and I would get so angry and I would let the ego kind of ramble on and go on on those stories and create even more stories off of those stories and get so much anger and so much frustration going. And I would then sit with my teachers and they would be like, Safa, remember the practice isn't about the physical, it's about what goes on with everything. It's holistic. You're bringing your mind, your soul, your body, your spirit together. Pay attention. Be soft. Be patient. Don't get carried away. Don't assign all meaning to just this. Observe. Be gentle. Listen to your body, etc. And I would do that for a little while. And then I'd start practicing again and go all out because, you know me, I'm a fiery person and I do kind of burn the candle at both ends sometimes. And I like to go all out. To me, <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's not just go big or go home. It's you go big. You can't go home. <laughs> so I, I start that and I listen to my teachers and I start easing off and taking it one little bit at a time and remembering what the practice is about and doing the healing and the introspection and I feel great. And then my hip gets all messed up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, you you gotta be kidding me. My body's betraying me. So it goes again, right? And then that seems to start to soothe over and then it's my SI joint. And then I finally decide, you know what? I think what's happening is I need a balance in my life. I can't just be doing asana without balancing it with some strength building, some weightlifting, some running. And so I start doing that. And then I start running and my hip freaks out again to the point where I have to go to the doctor and so again, it's just the cyclical thing, right? And all the while I'm feeding into these stories without noticing too much, I would have moments of clarity, of course, and be very conscious as to where the frustration was coming from and the fact that I was getting frustrated with myself to the point where I was almost blaming my body, you know, blaming it for betraying me. And it's interesting because I think a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us, we start down this journey and often that particular journey may be stemming from our deepest, deepest core wound and story. And we start on this journey and we do things and we start to see progress and all of a sudden something comes up and it seems to backtrack backtrack us and it contradicts us and it's resistance and it's pushing us in the other direction <laughs> and it feels almost like taking two steps forward five steps back and it really can be very disheartening right so like for me for example i start doing all these things and all of this comes up and i'm pulled out of everything that i'm doing and have to stop practicing and then i can get back into practice and then i have to stop practicing again and then i can get back and then i start running and and cross training and doing all these things and then i have to stop altogether because no my body's not letting me and again like i said i feel like at that point i start blaming my body poor body you know my body isn't here to attack me it's certainly not here to make my life miserable and the same thing goes for you your body isn't there to attack you or make you miserable. And I know that that's difficult because sometimes we really are in situations where it feels exactly like that, 
whether it is because you have an autoimmune disease or you have a heart condition like I did or your body seems to break down, you know, muscles, bones, joints give out and time passes and it feels again almost like a betrayal, but it isn't. I promise you, it's not that your body is betraying you, is that life happens and everything is cyclical. Nothing remains the same forever, no matter how hard we want it to. Things are always going to shift, they're always going to change, they're always going to transmute. And we have the choice and the ability to remain present within those changes and those transitions and be gentle and easeful as to how we move into them and through them so that we can come out of them. Or we can keep resisting them and beating ourselves down and beating ourselves up for them and fighting against it and creating more anger and more resentment toward us within ourselves and all of these things or we can surrender to grace and find spaces in which to grow and heal and be present and allow what needs to be there to be there but yeah yeah we do think we get betrayed and and as a matter of fact i had this same moment of presence and awareness just yesterday yesterday I went out for a run because I've been falling back in love with the act of running. I've never been a person who likes to run, by the way. And as I stated, I felt like whenever I did get to running, something would, would come along that would stop me, be it my knee, my hip, whatever. <laughs> and so, but this year I actually got back into it and I've been enjoying it quite a bit to the point where I even ran my first virtual 5K and it was great and I had a fantastic time and I felt so accomplished and I've been feeling that sense of happy, happy, joy, joy around my training and my running and everything, right? And then yesterday I go for a run and it is like a billion degrees outside because it's Houston and you know it's like a, literally like 100 or 90 something degrees with bright, bright sun. And I'm running and I'm I think like 10 minutes into this thing and I just stop. And my partner looked at me and was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I kind of huffed and was like, yeah, it's just really hot. And I'm starting to get really fatigued. And I can feel that I need a little bit of a moment. So just give me a moment. And we walk for a little bit. And then my inner fire, right? And my ego, who is telling the story, you see, you see, you are doing great, but you're so fragile. You're going to have to stop. You're going to have to quit. Your body's betraying you again. And so that's starting to percolate under the surface and it's getting me angry. And I decide, no, 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 let's go again. And so I start again and then I had to stop again. And so I started and stopped like two or three more times, which, oh my God, I really don't like doing that when running. But I kept coming face to face with this aspect of shade on so many different layers. Number one, my deepest core wound was showing up, telling me I wasn't good enough. Number two, the other stories that I was fragile and that I should be careful and that I needed to stop and take a time and, and a breather and that I couldn't do it started showing up. And then I'm in this headspace, really negative headspace of why is this happening? Why is my body betraying me again? Why am I in this situation? How come it's always something? Something's always coming up. When it's not one thing, it's another. I can't push past this. There's so many obstacles and it feels like no matter how many I take down, more come up and I never move forward. You know, just that, that mental space. And I even had a moment where I started to shut down with my partner who was trying to talk to me and hold really safe space for me. And I began shutting down and was almost running away from him, but I saw it. This is the biggest, biggest note I can give you here is being that gentle observer. My gentle observer saw this, saw what was happening and saw the stories. And it was almost as if I was really much like Sebastian, reading this book about myself and watching the hero in the story go through these obstacles. I saw this. I saw this developing. So I gave myself permission to have a small freak out. <laughs> and then I stopped and I looked at my partner and said, I, this is where I'm at right now. 
and I couldn't really get anything else out other than it's not about you. And by the time we got home, I was in earnest having pretty much a breakdown, which I'm never, or at least now, I've learned that the breakdowns are actually really, really good teachers because they're pointing me in the direction of deeper healing that needs to be done. So I get here, we get home, and I break down, and he's just being amazing and holding really safe space for me, and we're in conversation about something, and I'm, well, I say in conversation, but really I was blubbering, and I was saying all the things that my ego was saying, but out loud to my partner, which was like everything that I just told you as well. And in the process of telling this, and in the process of being heard and listened to and supported, I then notice my gentle observer starts making so much room for me. And she starts holding out her arms and asking that I simply surrender and that I be in presence so that I can heal in the darkness or perhaps through the darkness so that I can keep transforming that and come out the other end and then do the same thing whenever it presents itself again because that's the other thing. I think very often we think people in our lives who have learned a lesson or who have gone through something and experienced it and healed from it can't possibly go through it again, should be immune to it somehow, should somehow be carrying some sort of I'm over this, I'm never going to have to deal with this type of situation. And we apply that same rule to ourselves. But the truth is... Lessons that we learn don't just disappear. They've got to be digested. They've got to be embodied. They've got to be felt and lived fully. And then they change slightly sometimes, sometimes even more obviously, but they come back. (laughs) They come back and they teach you something new about what it was that you had already learned and mastered. So they give you a chance. It's a new opportunity for you to become the gentle observer and shift and transform and observe. So that's what happened. I took a moment and I noticed, wow, this story about myself, yes, that one is playing very loudly, but also these stories that I had perceived as being told about me or around me and then processed in a particular way have also been showing up in my life in particular reasons and shifting the way in which I approach things for some time and I can see that and I choose differently and that's a lot of the time where the healing power comes in because it is in our hands to forgive ourselves for being harsh or falling into fear or being negative or simply reacting or being overly reactive And to choose differently from that moment on. We can also choose, by the way, to continue embodying that reactiveness for as long as it's going to serve us. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, transformation does come from active proactivity. So at some point, we are going to once again be given the choice. And then we can choose again. We can once again choose to not do anything and stay in reaction or be reactive, or we can choose to be proactive and observe and heal and forgive. And that's the space where a lot of the true magic comes in. So I bring all of that up just so that you can know and you can see that you are not only the true author of your life, but also the one purest observer or the one who really is reading those chapters fervently and with hunger. You are also the one that comes face to face with that mirror. And at any given point in time, you've got a choice to step up to the plate, embrace yourself, love yourself, observe, heal, or to resist and run away or try to force something. And again, I go back to what I said earlier. Neither one of these is wrong. It is still a choice, but it is your choice to make. And either choice, any of these choices, are going to have consequences always. They're going to have something that comes right after. And the reason why the stories that we tell ourselves are important is because they do tend to color the way in which we perceive the world around us, but they are not true. 
They are as fantastical as anything you would read on any fantasy book. Just because your ego has told you this story or these stories about self and the world around you does not mean that they are true or that they are deeply embedded into the most unmovable form of reality. They are not facts, they're stories. A hundred percent, you can choose to stick to the stories and you can choose to keep living them and embodying the world around you through them, but though the ego was trying to protect you when it created those stories, very likely the framework is more keeping you rigid and stagnant and stuck than it is keeping you in fluidity and creation and movement and growth. So at any given point in time, you can choose to uplift yourself or you can choose to remain in the same space or even go further down into the depths. Nothing wrong with either of them, but it's entirely up to you. And the stories that we tell ourselves are going to seem factual, but they're not. They are also going to seem immovable, but they are not. We can always shift them. We can always transform that perspective we can always embody something new and we can always observe. And when those stories present themselves anew, we can once again choose differently. We can choose to observe, we can choose to heal, we can choose to remember, we can choose to do the work, go internal, embrace who we are, observe, use that mirror to see who you truly are at your core and embody that person in a powerful way, in a loving way, in a grace-filled, gratitude-filled way rather than weaponizing it against us. Doing introspective work is not meant to be self-flagellating. It is also not meant to keep you stuck in a loop of, Oh, I'm going to sit down and journal and journal about the same thing over and 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 over again. And there's no healing. It's not like that. It's not meant to be a self-flagellating tool either. Like I said, it's not like you're going to sit there and chastise yourself for, oh, why did I believe the story again? I thought I had fixed it. I thought I had moved on, but now look at me. Now I'm here and I'm doing it all over again. All things, by the way, which are likely to happen... But don't use the introspective work to that end. Use the introspective work to be the gentle observer, to learn, to inquire, and to grow and to heal. So when it comes to your stories, it's always good to pause and take a look at some of the most uncomfortable, maybe most painful moments of our lives and observe common threads. Also, looking at how we speak to ourselves about ourselves and how we see the world and how we relate to the world around us and inside us gives us many, many clues as to what our core story truly is. So if you want to, at home, do the work of figuring out what your story and stories are, then my recommendation is take a couple of moments every day to sit down and observe how you've responded to situations in your life that haven't been the easiest. You can actually look at how you've responded to situations that have indeed been easy or more easeful and observe how your speech, your internal dialogue is to yourself, about yourself, from yourself, to the world around you, about the world around you. Notice. What are the words that you are choosing? What meaning are you assigning to them? What about that particular thing was most challenging? What about that one thing resonates most deeply with you? Is it that you were little and no one picked you up from school and it happened time and time and time again and so you don't trust? Is it that you have abandonment issues because of it? Those are the core wounds that we are looking at. The things that left such an impression on the younger version of yourself, that that version created a very powerful story in order to try and protect you. So what are those? And can you vulnerably, lovingly, and courageously do the work of observing them without judging them, 
acknowledging them, spotting them, identifying them, maybe even bringing them down a bit more, refining them, and then knowing that they are there. So when they present themselves again, they don't rule you. You don't become enslaved by them, but you become empowered through them. And it's tricky because sometimes we think we've done the work of figuring out our stories, especially our core story, but there's more underneath. So a lot of times I'll do this work with my clients and I'll ask particular questions and they'll say, oh, this is the story. For example, going back to the example of no one picked you up at school, right? Let's say I'm working on that with imaginary client and the client says, oh, well, I was never picked up at school and so I don't trust people and I feel like I'm always getting abandoned. And then we start asking more and more questions little by little. Well, how did that feel? What exactly was going through your mind in that moment? What has changed in your life because you were feeling that way? How do you relate to the world around you and to yourself differently because of that? Is this really the core story? Very often the answer is going to be very quick. Yes, that's my core story. That's it. That's why I don't trust. I don't trust. I don't trust. But then we go deeper and start asking more and more questions. And then we start realizing, well, hold on a second. That story is actually tied to this other story. And that other story informed that story because of this other thing. And then that other thing tied into this. And so it turns out that your core story is XYZ. And it's work because nothing worthwhile in this world has ever just been easy. Nothing just gets born a certain way. Babies don't just come into the world and leap buildings or, you know, do gymnastics. We all, everything that exists in this universe has to go through the process of growth and development. And that growth and that development take time, take care, take awareness and take work. So doing the work of being with shadow and asking these questions to truly love yourself and know yourself and become aware of what your stories are so that you can observe them when they present themselves to you as they present themselves to you because remember they'll change right then we got to be able to be present with them we got to be willing to sit with them and observe them and allow them and learn from them and it it can be scary it can be challenging but it's so 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 worth it Because the growth that can come from it, I promise you, is soul-soothing, soul-transforming, (laughs) soul-developmental, starting to make up words. But it really is amazing. Because when you are in gentle observation and you're full of that grace and you can spot the story and transform it, sort of turn it on its head, so to speak, and shift the perspective around it and choose differently and forgive it and choose again, Wow, suddenly you are the one holding safe space for yourself and you are the one who is the author of your reality and then you've changed. You're no longer just Sebastian in reactivity when he faces his true amazing self. You become a Treyu in amazement and loving embracing of how amazing you really are. So I hope that that made sense and that I didn't ramble on too much. Again, stories and core wounds, those are some of the things that I'm most passionate about and that I work most closely with my clients and my students. And so I really hope that this was of use to you. And I would like to leave you with one more little bit of in-work. Let's call it in-work instead of homework. So first observe and talk to yourself and become cognizant of the things, the words, the emotions, the stories that you tell yourself when you are in situations and observe and ask why and get to know where that core wound came from so that you can be cognizant of it when it shows up and you can work through it. And also, I would like for you to sit down or make time to really ask whether it's on a journal or just internally. Though I do find there's extra magic. There's extra alchemical magic to when you sit down and write things out. But that is just a suggestion and I know not everybody likes to do that. But take the time to sit down and ask yourself the following questions. How do I find the central story that my ego has told me about myself and the world around me that has influenced me the most? What thoughts, emotions, 
images, maybe even sensations or even scents or tastes come up when I ask that question? And what are the words that most closely relate to stories? What core stories have I kept so deeply seated in me that I have become enslaved to them and I have created into a world of reactivity in my life? How can I step through this and love myself in this to grow into something different and how can I transform it? How can I shift it? What can I use to remember in grace that this is just a story? It is not a fact. It isn't true. And I can choose to forgive it and create something anew every single time. And so sit with those questions for a while. If it takes a day, it takes a day. If it takes five years, it takes five years. But do the present loving work of observing gently and allow that to really guide you through the shadows so that you can become your beautiful radiant self and so that you no longer give your power away to these stories. You step into full presence with power through them. So again, I hope that this helped and I'm, I would love to hear from you on this. If you've sat down and done the exercise and you've discovered new stories and you want to share them with me, then please email me info at nourishingpaths.com. Or if you have questions about this and it wasn't very clear, you would like for me to clarify that a bit more for you, same, you can email me or you can reach out to me and schedule a consultation where we can work deeper into this so that you can thrive. Or if you know someone who taught you about this and you've learned something very specific, something I didn't touch on and you would like to share, then please reach out to me. I love hearing from you. It is how we stay connected. It goes beyond me just sitting here and talking to my microphone. Yeah, so email me info at nourishingpaths.com or you can find me on Instagram at nourishing underscore paths. And yes, there's an S at the end of paths because <laughs> there's several paths we can take to nourish ourselves. And as always, share the love. If you like the show, if you like the episodes, like us, share Leave comments about how it's positively impacting your life, etc. <laughs> and I will see you next week for a special episode on how to hold space. So I can't wait to share that with you. Have a beautiful, beautiful day.